back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is a very funny guy from New York City, Brett Raybold. He just released his debut comedy special on YouTube, Brett Raybold Retires from Comedy. It's hilarious. Go to YouTube, watch it, give the guy a rating, and also, he has investment advice? You'll see. If you guys want to see more comedy, I've got another On the Zoom comedy show coming up on Saturday, December 5th. I'll have Nico Luca from Idaho, Jared McCalley from the Philly area, and Chris Sear from St. Louis. It's going to be a great show. It'll start at 8 o'clock. You can get tickets online. Go to Facebook, and you can see all the information. Tickets are 5 bucks, or you can sign up for a Patreon membership and get every show I do for $5 a month. If you sign up now, you'll get all the live shows on Zoom, and then I've got bonus content coming for when, you know, we're allowed to go do comedy in real life. So sign up there, get tickets to the show. It's Saturday, December 5th at 8 p.m. Trust me, those guys are really funny. So is Brett Raybold. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe. I'll talk to you next week. Wait outside your bedroom. I, I hope they let me in. Well, I appreciate you doing this, man. It's good to have you. Yo, I, I appreciate you having me, Mike. It's good to see you again. Yeah, man. How long's it been? Like a couple years since we've seen each other? Probably that last show in Binghamton, right? Yeah, it's that's what everybody always says. That last show in Binghamton. Like it's, it's always that last show. It's rarely that first show. Always the last one. <laughs> yeah, after that night, I figured I'd call it quits on going to Binghamton ever again. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that was really uh, that, that was at Spotlight, and that I don't even know if that bar is open. We we stopped doing comedy there in I think February of 2018. And I was like, uh, you know, it's just done. And it's fine with me. They were okay for what we needed, but not the most receptive ownership group. Oh, really? They were hands off as far as we didn't want to pay you so you can use our place for free. (laughs) Isn't everybody? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't everybody hands off when it comes to paying you? Yeah. And uh, so I met you uh, with because you work with Jordan. Obviously, you know who he is. Uh, But you guys, I think, needed a place in Binghamton. And uh, originally, the first show you did was at Maddie B's. And I don't know if you were on that one, but Jordan was. I don't know if I was. Yeah, I don't know if I was. And that place closed down. And then uh, we called Spotlight in a pinch and they hooked us up and we moved our, our home from Maddie B's to Spotlight. And I was there for about a year. And now uh i'm not there anymore so it worked mm-hmm. out well abusive relationship i actually Pretty remember much, that show yeah i remember the show you had to we had moved the venue and so you were going to the old venue it was like a cold ass day yeah and yeah. you were like standing outside the old venue being like hey we're we're down the road to like eight minutes that way at uh spotlight <laughs> like you, you, you probably helped save the show um yeah I, I think it was, that was more just, yeah no yeah i want well, you know i saved the show on stage but uh <laughs> i'm just <laughs> around that's not sure i don't remember i'm used to ruining the show so to hear something oh, say yeah. hey you saved the show <laughs> oh, i can't wait to tell my parents and my therapist they're gonna be really proud <laughs> just take that soundbite out mike just take that soundbite out you <laughs> saved the show logistically save the show no um <laughs> That's really. I don't funny. understand funny. why you had to throw logistically in there. That's not. <laughs> you know, don't, don't take it away from me. 
So what's it, what's it like working with your brother? Because I got a brother and I would fucking kill him if we had to do any bit of work together. Man, we, you know, we have a great uh, working relationship, terrible personal relationship. But um, no, um, no, man, I love working with my brother. You know, we write together a lot. It's it's nice having someone in comedy that you have like, you know, just kind of 100% trust with, 100% upfront with. Make no mistake. Yeah, we get like things to get tense in the car ride. It's always about the pettiest shit of just like where to eat or like, I mean, it really is. It really is like a couple who gets in pointless fights sometimes, <laughs> but I love doing it, man. You know, that was in 2020. We had started to do more separate shows. He headlines one room. I headline another in like separate cities, you know, and that would, that had its advantages too, in terms of like, you know, making a little more money and obviously more stage time, but yeah, no working with Jordan's great. Should I yeah, talk I relentless like, shit about him? Is that what you're looking for? Well, I was hoping that we'd at least make fun of him a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be, be nice. Short. <laughs> no, I like Jordan a lot. And and you guys are really cool. Uh, you know, I, I'd get stage time with you guys and and it was nice. But it was fun to see you guys, uh, kind of the process, because it seemed like you just picked a few cities. You're yeah. like, okay, well, we're going to hit these cities every month. And you would get like, you know, a different 12 to 15 to 40 people. At each show. I mean, I, I say 12 to 15 because that's what Spotlight pretty much. That's all well, you can no, expect there. That, and realistically, there's actually one time we went up to Binghamton and I legitimately think there was two people there. We we yeah. drove seven hours for a show for two people. Uh, so, you know, that was a tougher one. <laughs> I yeah, that's got to be a tough. Yeah. That's got to be a tough drive home. Yeah. I mean, you're like, all right. Did not make money. Uh, <laughs> in fact, certainly the inverse. But, you know, you love comedy so much that like whatever, man, sometimes you're going to have to not every gig is going to be a great one. And you try your best to produce a good show. And it can be hard to get people out for whatever reason. Shit going on in their lives, shit going on in town or just it's hard to get your name out there because it's not like you're a famous draw. So even those shows like. Yeah, maybe I'd take those shows back. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, even those shows you're happy for, but like, no, I'd rather do a show in front of 40 people in a small basement. It has a great vibe. But, you know, over time, you find the cities that for whatever reason you're able to find a little bit more success in and uh, with the draw. And then you have great shows and people talk and people come back. And, you know, there were some cities where we were doing – a monthly there and would be able to sell 80, 90 tickets every month. Kind of no problem for whatever reason, Binghamton, not a fan of the Rabel brothers. No. Well, you know, I might've had something to do with it. You know, I, I would talk shit about it all the time, but you know, I, that was it. They, I, they loved us, but the Mike Peters connection, <laughs> man, that Mike Peters connect. I have a theory to where if I book a show, like if, if I'm not on it, we will get like 60 people. But the minute I step on stage, like people know, no, we're not going there. And Is that true? It, it's, and it, yeah, and it's it's so disheartening because I'll host a show and not a whole lot of people will be there. And as soon as I get off stage, people flood. And I'm like, like I, I almost think it's this this uh, town led con- conspiracy to <laughs> consistently bring me down a peg. Yeah, it's not make cool. you have the hardest sets possible. I think the. The, uh, you know, the mayor's office sends out an Amber Alert style thing. But instead <laughs> of like, you know, warning, there's a black Chevrolet. It's just like uh, advisory. Mike Peters is now off stage. So you may now file in. <laughs> it's now like, safe. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's now safe. <laughs> I don't know. There's a conspiracy. 
It's, it's rigged yeah. against you. With you and Jordan, do you guys alternate headline spots at all? Uh, we would from time to time, depending on like, you know, when I was gearing up to film my hour special, Jordan was like, yeah, man, just headline all these. But there's somewhere it's just me separate. But if we were together, he would be like, yeah, just do the do the more a little bit more of the stage time. And when it's kind of only two of you, which a lot of the shows were, it's kind of like, you know, we both be doing minimum 40 minute sets, 35 to 50 minute sets. So it's like at that point. You know, they're kind of, it's just co-headlining at that point. Those, yeah. That's a long enough set where, like, it's on you. Like, you have enough time to win any crowd over. So it didn't really matter to me, like, going first or second. There was no, like, I want to go second because I think it's cooler. I kind of sometimes like going first because in some ways, you know, it can be harder as far as, like, just bringing a crowd from zero to, you know, hopefully, hopefully killing. Yeah, I, I like hosting because... You know, I, I trust myself to do it and, and I host just about everything I produce and I'm like, OK, I'm fine with that. And there's there's a little bit of pressure there. I like taking bullets. Well, that's very sweet of you. You're a good host. Yeah, I, I try. And, uh, thank yeah. you. I, I never I can't take compliments. I just can't do it. Mm. And I would much rather you make fun of me the entire time than ever try to be sweet. OK, well, but, you're a fat bitch. Thank you. <laughs> now I'm going to blush. <laughs> so you know, I, I'll have a dark joke. I'll have a silly joke. And I'd like to see what the audience likes and set the comedians up for something better. But uh, yeah, I don't mind closing a set. I don't mind featuring. But I think I prefer hosting as sick as it is. That's weird, man. I mean, that's that. I mean, that'll definitely be useful like in time because, you know, clubs always like when someone is more willing to host. So like that's it's a super useful skill to have, especially in terms of getting more work. Right. Um, and well, that's why I started doing it. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, because nobody around here liked hosting. And I'm like, you know what? If I could. And they didn't like producing a mic or anything like that. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll do that. It'll force myself to network. And mm. I just figured I'd be more marketable. That's such a comics mentality is like, all right, I don't want to host and I don't want to run a mic and, you know, I don't want to produce a show. So. Yeah, I just want to get booked to uh, headline a weekend of, yeah. uh, at an A-club. It's like you have to do something that sucks to do what you want to do. Like you don't get to just waltz into an amazing scenario. Yeah, it'd be nice if you could, but that doesn't – that's not how it works. Yeah, do you have Bill Burr's career? No? Okay, then you might need to go to a mic or you might need to produce a show. Yeah, it sucks, but that's what it has to happen. I talked to one person and he said, yeah, I've never not headlined. And I did an hour the first time I was on stage. And all I could think was, I'm so glad I wasn't there to see it. Like, I don't want to be around that guy. And his ego is off the charts. It, it was insane. He said he has never not headlined. Never not headlined. You know, it's okay. To, what about a showcase show? Like 10 minutes? No, no. It's It's got to be him. Now, I've seen him. I mean, <laughs> that's probably an exaggeration because I did yeah. see him. He opened for, do you remember Skippy from Family Ties? No. Mike, you're right. Me exactly. Right exactly. Like you shouldn't like Skippy from Family <laughs> Ties. 18 people know him by now, but he headlined and uh, this guy featured for him. But it's like, dude, like how good are you that you can't headline over Skippy from Family Ties? That alone should check your ego. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> man, maybe Skippy is a fucking beast, though, dude. If he's one of those road warriors, maybe he's got the best unseen act this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> well, I can guarantee it's unseen. That's for sure. <laughs> same, bro. Same. <laughs> when did you start doing comedy? Uh, you know, I started like really doing it. I actually started at the college I went to. I went to a school called Wake Forest University. Heard of it. Yeah, it's in North Carolina, Tobacco Road. 
And uh, I was in a college comedy troupe. It was actually a pretty like fortunate, lucky thing because our college comedy troupe, like there's a smaller campus. So like our college comedy troupe just got like really like appreciated and we would sell like, you know, a thousand tickets a show. And it was a great place to start because it made you feel funny immediately rather than going out and doing bullshit, terrible open mics or something. And it kind of gave you a vision of what comedy could look like in a really fun scenario. So I started then, but I started like really doing stand up. Um, you know, there's a summer where I had an internship at uh, College Humor and um, I was in New York for three months and I was doing the stand up thing every night, getting up at open mics, you know, one to a few a night. And then when I graduated, it was kind of a formality for me. I was like, I knew I had to move to New York. So I started about probably about seven years ago, really uh, like doing it as like a discipline and, you know, about every night, obviously in the pandemic, not so much, but yeah, that's seven years, give or take a little. Well, how long did it take you to feel comfortable doing sets around New York? About 15 years. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me know when you get there. Yeah. yeah. No, man, I, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person, I actually kind of get a little nervous for every set, no matter what, even if it's like kind of eight people at for a show, it doesn't matter. But, um, Obviously, you're more comfortable in time. And there's some shows that fray your nerves. I don't know. It's a mixed bag. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have a really good handle on feeling comfortable and funny. And sometimes uh, you don't. But I would I mean, I think at a certain point, once you've been through a lot of bad sets in New York, which is an inevitability, you know, fear of failure does leave you. And that's a very valuable thing. So I would say at the six-year mark on the nose, I became perfectly comfortable everywhere. No, uh, <laughs> it's a mix, man. Yeah. I don't know. You do get gradually more comfortable. I mean, you know how it is when, like, you just yeah, – uh, the shows I've done in the during the pandemic and, like, uh, Barnes have been really refreshing because I've actually way more – like, in a really good way, I'm really carefree about how the set goes because it's like – don't get me wrong. I do my work and, like, to focus on my act beforehand, but – the set itself, I'm like, I mean, whatever. Like, right. this is doesn't matter. This stand up show, I, I can't believe I ever thought this really mattered. Mattered. Yeah. Um, what I, I've done a few, and it's like uh, you're being graded on the curve. Like they all no. know. Everybody in the audience knows that. Oh, okay, they haven't been on stage for three, four, five, six, seven months. Yeah. So you know, we're just happy they're here. And normally, yeah. you don't get that at all. It's like you have to be on your A game. You should be on your A game every time. And now your A game is probably closer to your B game. So it's like, hey. Fuck it. Let's go. And it takes yeah. all, it, you're right. It takes so much pressure off. I think people are more appreciative of live stuff than they have ever been before uh, for obvious reasons, since we've like barely seen any in a minute. Well, how's that affected you and your productivity? Man, I, you know, with stand up being uh, a lot more, uh, I guess, MIA, I've been able to stay productive because, you know, I've turned toward like working on longer scripts and I've like, fortunately, I filmed this hour special um that comes out november 23rd i think by the time this episode airs uh, it'll be out so go check her out on brett rabel's youtube brett with one t anyway i've been able to stay productive because i filmed that last november and i've actually been intentionally sitting on it because it's meant to be come out around christmas like it has it's meant to be like sort of a christmas special and if you watch you'll find out why so i got lucky that i filmed that when i did because if i had waited i wouldn't have been able i wouldn't have had anything and it's helped me prepping for the release and doing like some promotion for it. And I got a couple, uh, I got a couple, uh, boondoggles planned, Mike Peters. I got a couple harebrained schemes in the old, 
in the old sack of tricks. So uh, <laughs> I've never heard it called a sack of tricks. It's just, I got a I got a big old burlap sack of tricks, and uh, <laughs> dude, I, it's finding new ways to feel you know creative and comedic, and yeah, and then also like. Part of the productivity is like forgiving yourself for being a human. I don't think I was as kind to myself when I wasn't working as hard during the pre-COVID. Um, I kind of like to call it uh, BC and AT, which is uh, before COVID and after Trump. And uh, <laughs> that's right in the sweet spot. Or no, AD after Donald. That would work with the. Uh, <laughs> that would work with the. Yeah, but um, you know, man, it's like realizing that the pedal doesn't have to be against the floor all the time to succeed in comedy and you're a human being. And I think I've, you know, some of that has influenced my perspective on pursuing this in life in general. How about you? Well, I mean, I've been doing this podcast pretty much nonstop. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as I figured out a way to do everything remotely and I was doing this, you know, now I could say I was doing it a stupid way where I would drive to or I'd have people come to my house to record or I drive to a venue or, you know, I had to pretend how to read to get into the library. And that was that's not good. So like but I would put so many miles on my car and you know I drive to Albany. I drive two and a half oh, hours shit, to Albany man. to record and then drive two and a half hours back and then do all the editing. So, you know, now I can just I mean, you're in New York City. I can say, hey, here's a link and we're good to go in like five minutes. You so know, I, like, yeah. that's the best thing. No, man. I, you know, I, I wish I had instituted a, I have to do it in person and you got to make the seven hour trek. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done it like, too. I'm, I'm an idiot. You psycho, you idiot. You'd be like, I'm not a guest worth driving seven hours for. <laughs> yeah. If you had like a, a fucking famous comic, uh, maybe. Yeah. But not, yeah, not maybe, a little Mr. Brett Rabel. Yeah. Maybe Jordan, but not Brett. Oh, shit. There we go. There we go. This podcast is over, dude. I'm that's storming all, out. That's all I need anyway. You you plug your special. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> got I've, gotten, <laughs> I've gotten in two or three, haven't I, Mike? It's been pretty, yes, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll ask a question. So, like, what's your favorite food? So, the night of my special, when I taped it, it's on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one T. Brett with one T. Yeah, Brett Rabel. R-A-Y-B-O-U-L-D. It's great, man. It's called Brett Rabel Retires from Comedy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I want to ask you about that name. So I don't want, I don't want to blow up a spot or anything like that. But no. when you announced that you were doing the show, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if the show was called at that point. Brett Raywald retires from comedy. It was, yeah. Okay, but but I'm like, there's no way he's retiring from comedy. And then you you didn't break character at least online in the videos, and it's great. By the way, the the preview on Netflix, Netflix, yeah, which is great. That's and, the trailer. Uh, it's a Netflix produced hour special. <laughs> But like you're in a tux, you did everything up so formally and it's just, it's perfect. But I gotta, I gotta wonder, were people pissed off that you didn't really retire or are they thankful you didn't really retire? You know, it's a mixed bag. I had, uh, okay. if you watch the special, not trying to plug it, you know, it's the only, <laughs> no, but for real, hold on, hold on. But for real, I mean, we're talking about it. It's the right. only hour standup special with a, uh, with a spoiler. Why did I retire? You're just going to have to watch the fucking thing. There's a reason I retired. It will be revealed in the hour. Some people might already be aware of it. But, um, shit, what was your question? It was, uh, I don't people remember. were mad at me. Doesn't some matter. people were mad at me. Some, you know, some people were like, what the hell, man? And I, this is what happened. I'll be honest. Cause I did retire from stand up. I did. Um, unfortunately, about a month later, it came to my attention that I had severely miscalculated my finances. 
And um, <laughs> I thought I had had enough to coast into my 60s and 70s kind of golden years. Turns out just, you know, had to fire my parents accountant. And uh, <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I, I reentered the Sisyphean slog that is stand up comedy. But, um, you know, some people were mad. Some people were sad about it. And some people were very complimentary in terms of like, why would you retire? You're actually, you know, an actually okay comic. And, um, you know, you kind of got to see it was fun to uh, do that show because I wanted to do an hour with some stakes and with some urgency. And I wanted to do a one night affair. A lot of stand up specials are a, or most of them are probably just a recording of the jokes and along that tour. This is the encapsulate final, you know, capsulizing of the comedy. But I wanted to do a show that like this was not like any show I had done previously. And obviously the material had been worked out like the stand up material I did had worked out. But some of the retirement and retirement related related stuff was just this one night thing. And uh, I think it kind of can create some of the magic of the show and not just being a recording of the final version of the jokes. But that was part of it. But also something recorded that only happened at this show and won't happen again. And it's not shitty improv, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is always my fear. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Only stand up special with a spoiler. Only stand up special with a wardrobe change. There's a lot here. There's a lot. I think I'm pretty proud of it, man. Regardless of how it performs, I'm really proud of it. I, I think it's a good reflection of my comedic identity. So I didn't see the wardrobe change, but I saw you in a tux. Yeah. I got to wonder, when you put on that tux, does that change the belief you have in yourself while you're doing stand-up? Like, uh, do you have to rise to the occasion of a tux? Hey, hey Mike, here's a, let me uh, give you a little peek behind that showbiz curtain. $49 tuxedo, my friend. So, <laughs> it's, That'll keep it's you balanced. Your, yeah. And so it's like, oh, how much does this cost? Okay. Less than uh, most other people's ensembles. But I will say, I actually ha have post that show and pre it too. I had started to love, I would, every paid show, headlining show, I was only ever wearing a tux. And I really liked doing it because it kind of is a fun differentiator. It's kind of uh, between you and the audience. It kind of, for just that opening 20 seconds, it's not going to matter if your jokes stink. They're not going to go, oh, but he wore a tux, so we're going to love it. But for the first 20 to 30 seconds, it creates like just a little bit more of like, a, oh, this motherfucker's in a tux. And uh, I like doing it. It's I, I kind of got it's both uh, slightly funny and, you know, there's some like ironic elements to it. But I also like in a non-ironic way, I feel like some comics we take for granted the audience's attention and I like uh, applying a little bit of a, Hey, I am willing to be uncomfortable for you and for your entertainment aspect to it. And that fed into wanting to wear the tux is like, I will wear the uncomfortable thing. Like, yeah, it's more comfortable for me to just wear, you know, button down and jeans, of course, but like you paid money for a show and yeah, I was, you know, got your tickets off Groupon and they cost under 48 cents a ticket, but I will still commit and to the best of my abilities to look, you know, odd or different. And again, only makes a difference for the first 20 seconds. I think if I were to do something like that, I would try to go. Uh, do you remember? I don't know which special it was. Ali Wong did her first pregnant special. I don't know if it was Baby Cobra yeah. or what. But yeah, I think that one. I wait. Uh, she was seven months pregnant. And I think she waited about 45 minutes to address it. 
that she was pregnant. Oh, really? Yeah. And so. I think if I wore a tux, I would try to go the entire night without mentioning it. And then like, just kind of like an Andy Kaufman type joke. Yeah. That's, and that, yeah, I like that. I like just acting like you're now, and it's pretty fun because I've done like bar shows for like nine people in a tux. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when it goes well, it's funny, but when it doesn't, you're like, man, I'm really that asshole in a tux, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, like, how do you leave? Like you have to stay there after the show. Like you can't just bail right away in a tux. Like it calls a lot of attention right there. I just tell them, I, you know, I'm going back to my waiter job at a high class lounge. <laughs> I, man that i uh, just i think i hid this memory but i was coming into a show one time and i don't know what i was wearing but somebody said you look like a chef and i was like what the hell is that like and i had just done stand-up I'm like what? i don't understand if it, this wasn't a compliment i'm sure but you look like a chef <laughs> it's just weird i'm sorry it, it means nothing but it's just now it's no, gonna no, bother well, me and sit with me all day not to victim blame but what were you wearing I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing that if it was pretty early in my standup, there was a time where I wore a tie and just a shirt. And I, oh, really? I had a joke. Yeah, but like, and I couldn't, I couldn't hide it. Like I couldn't not address it. I had a joke that I really liked and it was kind of a one-liner where it was like, a, I like wearing ties when I do standup because, you know, if the joke doesn't work, if my set doesn't go well, I'm one step closer to hanging myself. And that joke, it was kind of like a, like a bomb safe, like, like it worked. And I'm like, okay, I can pull myself out of that. But so I was either wearing that or just a punk rock t-shirt. And maybe, maybe, you know, I was clean shaven at the time. I have no idea, but yeah, you look like a chef. <laughs> maybe they're calling you vaguely chubby. <laughs> maybe, possibly at the time. And I, you know, it was pre-COVID, so I was a little bit l- less, but yeah, not, it wasn't a compliment. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. No, I, you know, Mike, I, I wouldn't be able to tell your occupation based off of your current outfit. I would think homeless, but that's it. <laughs> I, have like a, I have like a homeless slash brewer vibe. Oh, dude, it. you got a brewer vibe. Yeah, yeah. you definitely look like you're going to tell me about how well, the, how good the hops are. I, and doing comedy and breweries, like they're all, they're always all like, do you want a tour? You're like, no, yeah. no, no. They're I've already all- seen it nine times. The same, oh, we brew it at this temperature and it got, it's not interesting. No offense. I think if you're interested in brewing, it's still not interesting. You know, like you just, you just do it to kill time. Yeah. Well, I think like most things, it's like the output is interesting. What goes into it isn't as interesting or that interesting. Right. Even stand-up comedy, those, those specials or whatever, they're like, this is how I, you know, did it. I'm like, no, I just want to watch the really good, hopefully finished, finished product. I wonder if people, you know, granted, like, you know, we're talking about behind the comedy scene right now. And, uh, you know, I, people are probably tuned out already, whatever. But I wonder if, if like regular people, of course, you know, I do this with sitcoms. I like watching the behind the scenes stuff. And I wonder if people will watch like, like a Louis C.K. special. I think it's hilarious where he talks about how, well, the, and I'm going to forget one of them, but he talks about like the, the framing of that special was just Louis because he had seen it on Bill Cosby had done it. And maybe Richard Pryor, I think, I think those two were, it was, they didn't show the audience. They just showed the comedian. And I found that really interesting. I don't know if anybody else who doesn't do comedy finds little stuff like that, like interesting or funny or anything. It's interesting you mentioned that because that was actually something I said to the director of the special. I said to him, uh, who's my friend who is an awesome filmmaker by the name of Connor Thompson. I actually said, I don't want any crowd shots. 
both like cut twos or I don't want them in frame when I'm on stage as much as possible. We had some constraints because I, you know, I filmed it in a club uh, called Stand Up New York. So it's not like, you know, Louis doing his in like a big theater. But like I, I don't like when you can see people in the crowd, how they're responding to a joke, because I notice I stop looking at the comics sometimes and I look at the crowd members and right. I love how those specials are shot because you're just truly focused on the comedian and on the bit like that's all the attention is about. And that's why, I, you know, I think the best shot stand up specials are the ones that are just super simplistically shot. Just three camp, you know, maybe four, but three cameras, close up, mid range, full body and maybe one is roving and doing whatever. But like. I don't like when there's some spin modern specials where you're like, okay, this filmmaker likes to show off that he can, or they like to show off their production value. Right. And I'm like, who cares about a certain angle? I don't need an artistic angle. If the standup is great, that's compelling. Look at bring the pain that Chris rock special. Like, yeah, there's like two, it's like his wide body shot and then they'll go close. It's like two cameras or something. It feels like it at least. There's not a lot of shit going on. You don't need much. No, I mean, you know, granted, you know, that's Chris Rock and and Oh, it's the best special yeah. ever, arguably. Yeah. I, that is the one I've got a I've got uh, you know, people at home probably can't see this. Probably. They can't see it. But it's audio podcast. But on my wall, I've got a bunch of punk rock albums and uh comedy special albums. Yeah. And you can't say it. Roll with the new is his CD from Bring the Pain. Mm. And that's on my wall. It, that was one of them that really you know, it didn't influence me comedically, I suppose. Like, like I, you know, I mean, I was working on a, uh, you know, a, an N-word sketch, but he had a better N-word versus black people joke. I really wish I could say the word without really wanting to tell on myself, but uh, can't do that anymore. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, when I was in ninth grade, I had no problem saying the name of that joke. Really? Yeah, it was yeah. a different time. It was like 97. It's, Back it when racism was accepted. I mean, it can lead to an interesting discussion as far as like you were impersonating a comedian you, you know, looked up to and admired doing a piece of art that obviously you were, you know, not black and also not an N-word. And <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, but so it resonated with you. And I don't think, you know, racism is as simple as word said you're bad. I really don't. Uh, that's not that's not me being like, yeah, I'm just going to go around and say that word. But, you know, I think white people like to act like, you know, if it's said once, it's unforgivable. And you're but you're like, I, I, I just don't think things are that like, for lack of a better term, like black and white. It's there are not saying go out and say it, but I'm just saying context does influence things given yeah. time period, given intention, etc. I grew up listening to Carlin. And I don't know he's if got, that's a, I, I don't know. He's okay. Sometimes I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing because I think he's a genius and I love the guy and he could run for office. And like, I understand why people gravitate toward Trump, why they fall in a lot around like a cult. Cause if Carlin ran for president, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, I understand, like I understand that mindset. Yeah. Uh, but Carlin was really gifted at communicating any ideas. <laughs> Oh no, and he was smart and like noticeably smart. Yeah, and Carlin had Carlin had an amazing bit about the N word actually that we're talking about, where he talks about yeah, like he actually. I mean, I'm just not gonna do it justice or even attempt to. But if you look up George Carlin N word, I'm sure it'll come up, and the bit will speak for itself on 
kind of, you know, a more articulate version of what I think I'm in- intending to hint at. And a little bit what we're talking about is, you know, there are no bad words. Like there are bad there people are who bad, say that. Yeah, there's bad people who say them. There's bad intentions, bad actions. But the word in and of itself or a noise, it's just a noise. Obviously, the noise now carries a hefty historical weight. But in and of itself, it is just a noise. I, I mean, it, you can make a slur out of anything. Like if enough people start calling a group of people it, if we just decided from now on, we're going to call Mexicans, you know, Twixes, <laughs> then now it's a slur. Like if enough people pick it up, like now that's you can't say Twix anymore. I wonder if that's interchangeable. Like, can I say, well, I have two Mexicans of, on my desk, you know, they're I'm going to eat my Mexicans later. Would that work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, is this being dead? <laughs> that's, that's the shortest lifespan I've been ever. <laughs> no, man, go to the grocery store and say, hey, uh, can you uh, ring me up for, yeah, just uh, Mexican? Where do you keep your Mexicans? Look really expensive today. Like, when are the Mexicans going to be on sale? Uh, here's the sir, ICE agent. He's here. Sir, please leave this grocery store now. We don't yeah. want your kind here. I'm like, that's not, I, that's not cool. <laughs> but no, I... Um, I think I agree with the Carlin premise where it's like you have to look at the context. And and I always think of things that like I've got a journalism background, so I want to hear both sides of the story. And I think that was more I think Chris Rock's bit for me was like eye opening because it's like, oh, like he's just annoyed by annoying people. Like it's not Mm. like he's talking about that. He's not talking about well, he's talking about a specific type, but it's like. It's really just talking, talking to the movie theater. Like that's the same stuff Jerry Seinfeld was talking about, only, you know, a different demographic and a different way to approach it. Yeah. Jerry, unfortunately, Jerry Seinfeld does not have a great, uh, you know, black people versus N-words bit. <laughs> well, he's still, young. you know, I'm still holding out hope. What are you doing? There's black people. <laughs> so who did you listen to oh, growing up? Who inspired you to get into comedy? You know, uh, my first favorite, 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 like, stand-up comedian, I think, was was Louie. I always loved comedy, but I loved, like, watching, uh, you know, Chris Farley. I loved watching Will Ferrell. I loved uh, Jim Carrey. And I liked – my mom showed me some Chris Rock stuff. I watched him at a younger age. But, like, when I fell in love with stand-up, Louie was the person who really made me love, love stand-up comedy. But Conan O'Brien, I would always cite too. I'd love like, but those guys are like, those guys don't necessarily, some of them don't do stand up, but they're just broadly, you know, hilarious sketch comedy or otherwise comedians. Yeah. How about you? Conan for, Conan for me was huge because, and I forget about him because I watch a show every day and I listen to his yeah. podcast every week, but I still forget about Conan when you say, okay, who's your comedic influence? But Conan, man, when he had the show at 1230, right after Leno, he was appointment viewing. And I like Letterman. I, I think I was too young to appreciate Letterman. Me too, and, yeah. I, and I liked Leno. I preferred Leno to Letterman. And now it seems weird to say that. But Conan was the guy I had to watch. People, well, people crap on Leno and like comics. It's like cooler to crap on Leno. And you're like, dude, he's also really good at what he does. Like, yeah. And for a long time. It's just, it's just like this comedic arrogance to act like Jay Leno doesn't have something to how he's doing up there. But Conan, yeah, Conan, you know, Letterman as a kid, he'd felt like too harsh. And Conan just spoke to the playfulness, the playful absurdity of comedy. 
And it, you kind of, when you were watching as a kid, you just never knew what was going to happen in the studio because they had, you know, some aw- great audience bit gags and you just, the characters they came up with were just so colorful. It was so yeah. weird. And it was so cool to make something so weird on, you know, mainstream network, NBC. And maybe it was just the timing because, you know, when you're 14 and 15 years old, I don't think you can relate to a character more than the masturbating bear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like that it speaks to me at a, at a different level. Yeah, man. You know, I interned on Conan's show for uh, really? a few months. Yeah. Um, How was that? When he had the TBS version, Conan okay. was what it's called. Uh, it was really eye-opening. It really demystified showbiz a little bit, but it was really cool watching Conan process comedy every day in rehearsals. Yeah, it was a monologue intern, so I was in charge of writing the setups to the jokes that the writers would write the punchlines to. And I'll tell you one of my favorite like memories from it was uh, Andy Richter, Conan's sidekick. Yeah. This is, this is like my first day. I was taking the jokes down. You know, they printed them out on it just like a normal piece of paper. I was taking him down to the cue card guys to write the cue cards for him. So I was walking down. I dropped the paper and the paper slides under a desk. And so I got to get on my hands and knees to reach under this desk to grab it. And then I feel like it kicked, lightly kicked, like kind of in the back of my shoes. And I look up and it's just Andy Richter that, you know, number two on the show is towering over me. And he just goes, stop stealing shit, you bastard. <laughs> 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 and then walked away. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, there's a moment of panic as like, you know, 19 year old me, oh, I'm not stealing. And then you're like, oh, dude, that's just, it's just hilarious to like, you know, just to fuck with like the hilarious power yeah. dynamic of what it is. I listen Love to it. his podcast too. And I don't know if there's a sweeter guy in show business. It doesn't seem like there is than Andy. Oh Richter. yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know he had his own one. Yeah. What's well, called? I haven't had I haven't had him on my podcast to you know plug it every twenty three seconds. Yeah, <laughs> unlike me, I'm the plug machine, baby. <laughs> um, that sounds like yeah. a really weird college nickname, the plug machine. Oh, dude, that uh, that's because I laid the pipe, pipe Mike. <laughs> I stutter as I say I laid the pipe. <laughs> I laid the pipe. Hey, maybe that was intriguing at Wake Forest. You don't know. Well, you you yeah. do know. <laughs> Mike, can I tell you something interesting about the promotional rollout of the special? Yeah, definitely. Go for it. So, and people who are listening now, it will be out. They should know that I am the uh, I am seeking to become the world's first publicly traded comedian. Uh, much like a stock or a cryptocurrency, I have launched my own trading platform called Brett Trade, BrettTrade.com, where people will be able to go online to buy and sell shares of Brettcoin. We are doing a IBO, which is an initial Brett offering of 100,000 shares valued at 50 cents a share, putting my market cap at $50,000, which is actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> and I'm just telling you what, if you think I'm a kind of good comic, you watch that special, you're like, it's pretty funny. You want to invest. This is the safest place to put your money. Brettcoin. It is. I'm not going to stop doing stand up. So it's only going to go up from here. What I appreciate is the humility you have. Yeah. You could, I, you could tell that you're very modest and you just let success come to you. I go, I, you know, I, I, I think I actually pretty humble. That's a pretty humble valuation. 50 K that's actually, <laughs> I actually didn't put it absurdly high. I put it at a pretty realistic number, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you don't have to sell me on it. I'm all, I'm all in. All right. Then go best. It's going to be out in the next day or two. 
Mike, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna count on you for some shares. All right, just wait here, and you know we can wait. I, I mean, I got nothing else to do today. Uh, you want to camp out for 24 hours, so I definitely do it. You know, I'm okay yep. with that. Yep. Uh, you know, I plan on being done talking with you when this podcast finishes. <laughs> forever. <laughs> oh, forever, dude. Never again. Never. I got what I wanted. <laughs> I got my plugs in. I should have quit when I was plugged out. But you know, Mike, buy some shares. It's a price will. The price was is uh built to uh, respond to market activity. So as people buy and sell. It will rise and fall depending on how my comedy career goes, and I like to think this is the ground floor slash rock bottom. So, <laughs> um, what was the motivation to put this out as a special? You know, uh, the hour special. It was. Yeah. I I felt like I had an hour I was really proud of okay. about you know six seven years in the comedy, and I think you got to make your own opportunities and realistic. I had a couple offers, a few offers to go with some distributors, comedy distributors, and they would have gotten on maybe other plat stream platforms. But ultimately I was like, it's best to own your own stuff and um, err on the side of gambling on yourself rather than waiting for someone to gamble on you. And so that's kind of the motivation is I had material, proud of it. I think it's a great show. Hopefully people watch it. And if they do, I think they're going to like it. And if they don't, I mean, you're not for everybody, but that said, I think I am a pretty every room comic and I pride myself on being able to work kind of any room, be a, you know, a hipster room, a clubby room, a black room, a church room or whatever. Just corporate shit. I, you know, I, I pride myself in trying to be able to work any room. It's a ripper, Mike Peters. <laughs> I know they've got like a decade on you, but like does watching the success that Joe List and Sam Morell and and uh, Mark Norman had on YouTube, like does that? Give you some more confidence as to, you know, this that, whole project comes along. That influenced me in terms of like, make no mistake, those guys are undeniably way more well-established, uh, accredited names. I'm actually, I kind of joke half seriously that I think I might be the least successful comedian ever to put out an hour special. <laughs> uh, for real though. And, uh, but I think, you know, I, I kind of think my, my comedy outstrips my current standing and um, that, I, you know, you see some of their success and in no way do you, my visibility and my reach is so much smaller than any of the, or theirs or like Comedy Central, I think distributed one or two of those. But, um, you know, the internet's the internet and it'll always be there for as I continue to work on developing my career more and more. And so a, a lot of distributors want you to like, think it's cool that they want you to work with them. And so... But I think the credits are, you know, credits to me are like Emperor's New Clothes. It's like, how do you do in the room? It doesn't matter if you've been on The Tonight Show or what. It's just how does that comic do in the room? So it definitely influenced it by seeing some comics have found some good success over YouTube. But in no way am I, you know, entering into a sense of comparison with them. Because, like, it's just about, like, just trying to do the best you can with what you got. And uh, I think the Internet's going to like it, though. I kind of do. It's weird. It's weirder than uh, just a normal standup special. Do you think you're going to handle this the same way you would a TV taping or something like that, where where it's like this special's out, goodbye to that material? Yeah, I've thrown it all away. And have yeah. to build something. Okay, all right. So you, is that, yeah, does that give you any? Yeah, does that give you any trepidation? Like you, Dude, know, you like that material and it's gone. You know, uh, well, I didn't like that material. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you were retiring. Yeah, yeah, so I retired. No, I mean. It's a really freeing thing. And I'm a pretty young comic. I've recorded it when I was 27. 
I think the a- act of trying to make yourself a better comedian is to never stop writing. And by throwing it all away, you are undeniably forced to, you know, keep the comedic cylinders firing because, well, I don't want to do the, you know, that potty training story again or whatever bit uh, from the special. I, I just want, and I also want to develop myself as a comedian to, with my next special, uh, bring a little bit more of my maybe perspective or point of view to it. I think I might have, um, on this one, I'm young comic. I'm still a young comic. I'm not acting like I'm some landed gentleman now and hasn't even come out. But I will say I was a younger comic. And right. my goal my goal was to just try and kill as hard as I could. That was really it. And uh, by, you know, being a hopefully original and with stuff that's pretty universal. But I think as I look into building the next material and the, you know, the sparse shows I've done, I'm actually excited about a lot of the material because I feel like it's a little bit more, uh, it just feels a little bit more me in a way rather than just me trying to kill. It's an exciting thing to work on, like realizing as you're doing it, like it can be hard as a comedian feeling like you're getting better because you're only ever screaming down a well. But when I look at some of the material I have now compared to some of the other stuff, it, it comes more naturally, you know, again, not trying to act like I'm, oh, dude, it's so easy for me. No, but you just know your voice a little more. So, yeah, man, it's it's really exciting. It's like uh, it's very fun to throw out an hour because it's a little scary, but it had to happen because I didn't want to fucking keep doing that material. It was a year ago and we're it's a year and a pandemic apart. Yeah, Why that's, what I still- that's what I wonder is, is like, you know how much of our material is going to be sustainable after the pandemic? Mm. I mean, you know, like it's going to be a year, 12 months or year, 12 months, uh, you know, 14, 16 months, however long. And if you do a special after the pandemic and don't mention the pandemic, is that going to be weird? I mean, it's definitely whether directly or indirectly, we can't argue like it hasn't changed all of our perspectives on like a lot of shit, you know, life, government, relationships, et cetera. Like, so whether it's even directly said or not, the perspectives that can inform jokes. Let me give a specific example. I have a bit in this current special where I basically am talking about um, not wanting to go to friends' weddings, right? That's like kind of the premise. Even that doesn't feel right right now. Like that perspective, like now being a person who hasn't gone to their friends' weddings, I'm like, that bit wouldn't really sing anymore. And it's, you know, what like, because it's not, at least yeah. for me, it's not how I feel anymore. Like, I would love to go to my friend's weddings. Why was I ever complaining? Because it cost a little money? Well, life is about accruing money and spending it on relationships. But, <laughs> um, you know, so like, even that, which isn't like, you know, pandemic centric, it's just the broad perspective of maybe feeling more appreciative of what we had probably influences the comedy itself, even if you're not like, making a pandemic specific joke. Well, just as an audience member on that bit, when you, when you were winding up, I thought, okay, well, did he go to the wedding? Like if it's pandemic times, like, are you yeah. a hero because you didn't go to the wedding or are you perpetuating the problem because you did go to the wedding and didn't care about anybody else's safety? Like, I think you look at that from an audience perspective and that's completely different for me. Totally. Like a wedding bit pre pandemic is way different than a wedding bit post pandemic. Cause what was the wedding like? Were there a lot of people there? Were they in masks? And what jokes are you making about? I mean, just whatever the situation was. It's just the world is clearly way different. So everything in a comedic act has been probably shifted a little. Not that there's not just some still like evergreen stuff, but yeah, obviously 
you know, I'm, I, I think I'm being a creative genius here when I say that uh, the pandemic has made a lot change. <laughs> yes, I, I've never heard that before, honestly. So yeah, no, I really I appreciate that. And you know, we're we're recording it in mid November, and you'd think since March somebody would have said that once, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't have. The, I don't think they had the courage to do it. And so, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. I appreciate you in, in trying uh, to bring the realness to this podcast. Yeah, I just thought of that. And it's one of those things that I think uh, people needed to hear that things have changed. (laughs) So, okay, let's pretend uh, we're out of the pandemic. Do you have a goal in mind to as far as when you want to release your next hour? Or do you not even think about that yet? I actually do know what the next hour is going to be called. And I know what the next hour is going to contain. That sounds over the top. But uh, I kind of have a broader vision for these... uh, Special is called Brett Ray will retire some comedy. So uh, I I don't know when it has to the stand up has to just feel like pretty completed and done. Like I wouldn't want to just throw up film something where the bits aren't complete because right as you know stand up can take a long time to really beat it out and figure out all the beats and really make it hopefully great. So I you know I don't know, but I actually honestly Mike I actually know what the next I know I'm going to film another two. I know what they're going to be called. And I know what the central temple gag of the specials is going to be. And uh, it might be f- five years down the line. Who knows? But I kind of I kind of have a little bit of a a little bit of a, you know, place I want to take it. Call it vision or not, but at least place I want to take it. Well, that doesn't sound weird to me. Like, I, I know if I ever have an album, I know what it's going to be called. Like, like yeah, uh, what is it? Well, it's going to be called I am a stand up comedian and you are my audience. Well, okay. And there's a backstory to it because, and I've got a bit that I'd like to put in there, and I, it's good, but Can I don't I think I ever did it. Seconds? Yeah. I would have loved if you had said, I'm going to name my album uh, Mike Peters Retires from Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Completely originally done. It's all me. <laughs> no, no. But you're saying I am a standard comedian. You are the, you are you're, the, you're, you're my, my audience. audience. You're okay. my audience. And Why? so when I was in college, uh, my, girlfriend uh she was my girlfriend and then my ex-girlfriend whatever yeah. but we were we were buddies and we'd play rummy on my bed because she's a lesbian so what else are you gonna do like <laughs> she's not gonna do anything else we're gonna play cards so was she a lesbian at the time you guys were dating well that's up for debate i'd like to think at, I at least <laughs> at least like <laughs> at least like you know at, at the time she may not have been aware of that reality i think she was working some stuff out and i think sure i i joke about it like honestly like i don't think i pushed her toward it but the the joke is like like she needed some convincing so here i am okay now i know i'm a lesbian you know like that's that's the that's the part i play for humanity i i convince women to give up men i think that's my best trait honestly (laughs) but yeah but we we would be sitting on 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 the bed and i'd tell her dumb jokes like i mean at the time i was and I don't think that was lifting jokes, but we were always watching Mitch Hedberg or Stephen Lynch, Jim Gaffigan, Lewis Black, that group of uh, Comedy Central Presents. And wow, I would yeah. just I would just tell her dumb jokes and she would look at me and they were only originals because she looked at me and says, Mike, and she had these dead eyes. And she'd say, Mike, you are not a stand up comedian and I am not your audience. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> and it was hilarious because she was she was really funny. It probably still is, but she just had these eyes that were like completely bored and tired of my existence, and it killed me every time. So I think yeah. if I had an album, that's what I would do it, and it would be a joke for basically me and this woman who doesn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> funny fact: 
you know, uh, about my special. Had to recut it because I had thanked my now ex-girlfriend in the credits by saying, uh, thank you. And then I'll, I won't say her name. Let's just make up a name. Thank you, Michelle, for always being there. And uh, I had to go to my director editor and go, hey, uh, we got to do a recut. He's like, why? What happened? I go, yeah, things went south with that relationship. So uh, <laughs> Michelle, uh, she wasn't always there. Turns out. She turns out. Yeah, that, that would be really weird to have that specific, like not even just like, thank you, you know, Michelle, but thank you. Michelle for always being there. So, but I mean, if you want to name your own, whatever the hell you want, it's aggressive. I will say, I am a Stan King and you're my audience. I'm like, oh shit, this guy's really, he's, he's bringing, he's saying, being direct. And then, what I like about that is they'll listen to the first show and be like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> so it just, just skip over it. Like, fooled you, fucker. <laughs> hey, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Yeah, Binghamton, 2017. <laughs> <laughs> everything was going well, except for that damn guy who did a guest spot. Fuck him. He screwed uh, everything yeah. up. Um, no, uh, worst set ever. It needs to be, you know, I remember I was actually a book to headlining show in Mamaronic and um, was in a restaurant upstairs, tall ceilings. And here's why I was one of the worst ones. A friend of mine, uh, there had been like, oh, who's your headline? And because I was like, you know, help produce it. I was like, I would just like to do it. And it, but they, I think they took it as an ego thing, but this uh, comedian, just a friend of mine, it's a great comic. He's an Eagle wit. He, I remember Eagle, they weren't a hot crowd for the host, but then Eagle turned him and like turned into a good atmosphere. And I remember Eagle hosted, but I remember the headliner, allegedly me having the worst set on the show for 40 minutes. And I just remember riding the train back back home to New York, which is a long one from Mamaroneck. Uh, it's upper, slightly upper, and just crying. I just cried. And it was really cleansing because you just go like, okay, that's bad, but it's okay. And I became a lot better from having a terrible 40-minute set. Yeah, so not really a funny story, but it was uh, <laughs> pretty transformative, man. Well, how do you shake that off? It's easy after you've done them so many, <laughs> after you bomb so much, which is actually true. Like <laughs> that's a good, important thing that like you realize, like I'm still standing, like it's fine. And, you know, you never write your hardest until after a bad bomb. Right. And that's when you're like, I got to hit the fucking notebook. Like I got to really think of, make these, tweak these punchlines, make them way better. So, I, you know, I think uh, that's how you, you shake them off by just reminding yourself like, oh, I'm fine. How about you? Do you have like a thing that you gotta? You, is there a food you eat or? Uh, no, I don't have any any routines or anything like that. Uh, what I do is I try to get on stage as much as possible so I can be more conversational about stuff. Like, like I, I you know, it's like I I think I used to I used to always have a beer or two before I went on stage, and I stopped doing that a long time ago. But no, there's really no. I don't have like you know music to listen to. Nothing pumps me up. You know, and like I said, I'm usually hosting the show I do. So once I get that five minute warning, I kind of go into show mode and the adrenaline comes on. Mm. What I like most about and what I tell a lot of people is like it, it really helps you if you're doing your material like open mics or or shows. You're doing that same material in other places than your hometown, because if you've got a home crowd, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt usually. Mm. So if that's if the stuff that works in Binghamton doesn't work in Syracuse, I think that's good. Like you, you got to write more and write so it's almost bulletproof, no matter where you go. Oh, totally. 
Yeah, no. And that's, that's, what's great about getting on the road for comedy is like wherever, if it's a great bit, it, it generally should have the ability for people to get it, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever they do. Oh, you just reminded me by the way. Um, mm. I think about you, I think about you Hell yeah. often, uh, but oh, it's, so it, and it's, it's really weird because I remember I got off the stage at Spotlight and you probably don't remember the joke, but it was a joke about how my grandpa was a bigger man than I was because he went to World War II and every time I go to the grocery store, I buy five bananas and I have to throw them away. I'm like, my grandpa went to World War II, he fought Nazis and I can't eat five bananas in four days. So I came on stage and used to like, oh, I really like that joke. And I like the joke too, but every time I do it somewhere and it doesn't work, I think, <laughs> I think, did, did Brett really like that joke or does he not like me? Because this is a really elaborate fucking prank and he's an asshole. <laughs> that fucking liar, man. <laughs> you always hate to be the comic that tells a comic, I did like that joke and they keep trying and it doesn't work or whatever. <laughs> I wasn't trying to engage in sabotage. Stand by the joke. I think it's funny. It's a funny comparison. Every audience can go shove it who didn't laugh at that. Yeah, thank you. No, I, I think that's my anxiety coming On out. On stage, you, sh you should go, hey, uh, Brett Rabel likes that joke. And they go, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's this guy who initially retired from comedy. Yeah, and he figured, oh, my finances weren't great. So he came back. You should watch his special. Uh, I believe it comes out on November 23rd. And it's on hey, YouTube. Dude, you got it down. You don't need any more media training. Dude. You just plugged it. No, it, but you know, it, it's an interesting shutdown for a heckler. You know, it's like, dude, like, why? I, I don't understand why you're telling me about this guy's special, but yeah. I guess I'll watch it. Use your stage time to plug my stupid <laughs> special. I want to see that. Like, uh, you know, I'll be at a, I'll be at a mic or something like that, and you know, like people have, they feel obligated to use all the allotted time. You don't need to do that. Like, if you're, if you're done at four, maybe give the minute to somebody else, or we're, you know, just we're go on. We all happy. Go yeah. So I wonder, like, it'd be fun if, like, I would find it interesting at least once to see someone say, well, I've got a minute and a half left. I want to tell you about this uh, this Dane Cook special that really, I really think you guys should look out. Because, you know, I know he got a lot of, you know, a lot of publicity back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But really, his comeback is very good. So I just want to, I, I would let him go for 90 seconds for that bit. Shine a light on a famous comedian special. <laughs> Why not? Hey, shine a light on mine. I'm the opposite of famous. So, you know, pay it so forward. What advice would you give to a comedian who's making that move to New York? I mean, is it just to get as much stage time as possible? You know, I would tell the comedian to proceed with caution. Uh, um, New York is not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. It does have, I do think it has certainly the most and certainly the most best comics. But at the same time, there is some limited quality stage time, I, especially like right now, man. It's like there is no stand up in New York. So right. be aware of that. But um, I think as with any city, it is just like try your hardest to be funny, be kind to people. Hasn't really worked out for me, but I still believe in that <laughs> worldview. <laughs> I still believe in that worldview. Work hard, be kind. And, and uh, I don't know, man. There's a lot of great cities to pursue comedy. I think it's really cool that you are kind of one of the, you know, central statesmen of uh, of its own small portioning scene. And I think there's yeah, a lot of value in that. I know, selfishly, there is a lot of value for me because, you know, I what I did was I took an apathetic town mm -hmm. and I'm like, hey, you know what? I'll take advantage of this apathy 
and I'll be the motivated guy. And, and I'm by no means, am I the only one who's motivated here, but nobody else wants to run an open mic. And I'm like, okay, I'll position myself that way. And, you know, granted now nobody else wants to do an open mic. So I'm stuck, but right, right. you know, you got that. It's, it's, it's come with some benefits. Yeah. That is. Yeah. You can run an but open no. mic and just do 50 minutes. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, like, hey, they want to participate. They just don't want to, you know, buy the equipment and set that up. So that I'm the sucker. But no, I, I think I think uh, my advice to anybody who's who starts stand up is just to make yourself known. And I think what you said is is so important and it's overlooked. Right. Be kind. Like be yeah. a nice guy. And like so many people, you know, we all talk shit about people, but so many people are just completely toxic to anybody so overtly that it's like you're just hurting yourself in the long run yeah it's be kind just out of self-interest uh don't even know because yeah. you want to be no but it's also funny when people aren't because you're like dude you're being a dick about a bar show that has an audience of 10 people what <laughs> like if you're a dick about this what you know and the other piece of advice i would give the comics looking to maybe make a move is just watch my special um, <laughs> how was that? Was that one seamless? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was incredibly seamless. I also want to ask you: you did a did you do sketch fest in, in San Francisco? I did do that one year. Yeah how how did that go? Dude, it went great. The venue I performed at was uh, the Purple Onion, where uh, Zach Galifianakis oh, yeah. filmed the special. It was they had renamed it. I forget what they had called it, but it was that venue. It was gorgeous and. They put you on a few great shows, and uh, I love doing comedy festivals because I love meeting comics from other cities because that's the only way you can sometimes. I, I would say it was one of the most fun festivals I've done. The particular show I did, I was lucky enough, like I had a great set on the show I was on. I was on, they did a Best of Fest compilation, and I was on that, which is kind of a huge honor for like a younger comic, especially since like the other people on it were like, you know, David Cross excerpts from him show or just other big names and they obviously intentionally like they had, you know, some younger comics on it just to have like a diversity of not everyone is like a, you know, super successful multimillionaire comic, but, um, I great festival and it was run by really good people. And, uh, I'm, yeah, I met some great comics and a couple good industry people who've been kind to me from it. So definitely recommend applying for it. It's a good festival for sure. I've never heard anything bad about it. Uh, although, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about it anyway. So what I've heard, yeah. the small portion of what I heard has been good. It's tough. It is tough to do a festival. Cause I think that was, I fortunately had a buddy live there. I, I did have to pay for a plane ticket, but I could kind of like, it was kind of cool. Cause I was like, all right, I'll buy a plane ticket, do the shows, try and get on a couple others and also hang out with my, one of my closest friends and like stay a few extra days. So Obviously, like doing a festival as a um, younger, underestablished comic can be costly, but if you turn it into a broader trip, it can be kind of a fun way to do it. So do you think it's beneficial for you? Uh, I mean, that that trip in particular, but any comedy, uh, you know, lost the word there. Any festival. festival? When in doubt, sure, try it out. Definitely there are some that, I mean, talk amongst comics because like they'll tell you you know, how it was run and did it feel like a, you know, a scam or whatever. I haven't really performed in any of that I felt like were scams, but they can be out there. But certainly like bigger name ones tend to have like things run really smooth and the people who run them they really do love comedy and like they like trying to provide opportunities for, for the no names. So, but when in doubt I, with, with any show, like I always am like, when in doubt, just fucking do it. <laughs> like, 
where's the show? Sure, I'll try it. It'll either go poorly and be a learning experience slash and or story, or it'll go great. And hey, I had a great set. Have you gone back to Kansas City and done stand-up? Yes, I love going back to Kansas City and doing stand-up. Yeah. How's the scene there? I think Kansas City has a lot of very good comics. They're always very cool. Um, you know, it's like I'm like a Kansas City person, but not a Kansas City comic. But when I talk to them and they're always very welcoming and like there's just cool people there. It reminds you like it's both humbling and uh, scary to see just like, wow, there's a lot of great comics kind of everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like there's sometimes this is like New York elitism that some New York comics have where they're like, yeah, but we're the best and not always <laughs> my friends <laughs> there's a lot of funny motherfuckers i love i was in kansas city for a royals game a long time ago it would have been probably 2011 2012 i didn't get to explore much of the city but i loved kansas city uh I- kaufman stadium especially mm-hmm. and uh we did uh we took a tour at an in independence you know we, we saw uh the truman museum Truman Museum, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, good president. Love him. <laughs> yeah, and so I always laugh when I hear that. You family guy fan and all? Not really, no. Not like okay. I dislike it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, Harry Truman's house, that the tour they gave us reminded me of a really early bit in Family Guy where where they go to Germany and they take a tour, and the tour guide completely skips over 1939 to 1945. Like there's a gap. And we saw this Harry Truman video, and it was all about his life. Didn't mention one thing about dropping a bomb on two towns. And we're like, wait a minute. We feel like we feel like you missed something here. And they're like, relevant. yeah, but have you seen his hat? Because it's it's on the rack over there. You can, you can look at his hat again. We're like, well, all right. I guess that makes up for it. I, I went uh, wherever I was. I must have been in, I don't forget. I honestly forget the state. But I went and saw George Washington's like old estate. Yeah. And similar thing. It's like they kind of really try and gloss over the whole slavery part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just minor. These, oh, these were his. These were the uh, quarters. <laughs> <laughs> what quarters? Just this like, quarters. <laughs> I think I think you're trailing off there. Yeah. It's like a whole Tommy Boy thing. It's like you can say it, man. He had them. It's all good. I mean, it's you know what I mean. It's yeah. It's all good in terms of like be real about history and no, and also. I think the, I, and I think that's the clip we're going to take out. It's slavery. It's all good. Oh, the the clip is slavery, colon. It's all good. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a new name for your special, honestly. Oh, bo- oh boy. Yeah. What a good out-of-context sentence that would be. <laughs> <laughs> was the state Virginia, by the way? I think it was, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Mountain Union, I think. Uh, I think that's where it okay. was, Mountain Union, Virginia, something like that. I was going to say that, but then I was like, didn't he retire to upstate New York? Because, But then, yeah. Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon, Virginia. Why, why did I say Mountain Union? Where the hell's Mountain Union? I don't fucking know, dude. It's your podcast. <laughs> oh, all right. Fine. Leave me alone on this one. I'll drown in my, my lack of knowledge of George Washington a little bit more. Uh, hey, that's, you know, you never cited yourself as an expert. No, no, certainly not. No, I did watch Hamilton like three times, so uh, I should know Mount Vernon. Fair enough. Yeah. So, yeah, I appreciate doing this. Uh, we haven't talked about it much, but do you want to plug your special? <laughs> They've heard enough by now. <laughs> I don't think they have. Brett Rabel, it's on YouTube. Check her out. I'm very proud of it. Uh, Brett Rabel uh, re- retires from comedy. Full hour. Put it up for free. And if you like it, maybe a uh, quote unquote invest in Brett coin or, uh, you know, buy my jazz album which, uh, you know, brandomablay.com. Anyway, yeah, check it out. It's a good special. 
Well, how can people follow along with you on social media? Because you guys, you and Jordan are pretty active, especially with the, the sketches too. Yeah, we try and make some stuff. Uh, at Brett Raybould, Brett with one T, and then R-A-Y-B-O-U-L-D. Yeah, shoot me a message uh, if you listen to this and uh, with a roast joke of Mike. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> no, man. Uh, I'm thankful some- for you having me on. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, no problem. Yeah, here's something I wonder. Uh, do you get irritated by Brett's with two T's? Like, like does that bother you? I know because like Sarah with an H mm. and without an H, there's a big, mm. you know, fight between them. You know, in my uh, earlier days as a less emotionally intelligent man, I did. But this pandemic has taught me one thing, and that's that we're all one people. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Brett's with two T's can shove it up their fucking asshole. There we go. Now that's the sound clip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Brett with one T's, we're alphabetical economy. That's what we do. We don't waste our time with that second T. Brett. <laughs> no, Brett. It's Brett. The alphabets, you know, appreciate you. Yeah, they do. And I wonder how much time I've saved in my life by not having to type or write an extra T. It probably is a few hours. Probably. A- but, every time I write my name. Yeah, but we've wasted so much of that time right now. So really, I've just undone. I've done. I've undone all of your work. So I apologize. Let me just write a few more breaths, and we're even again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm up again. I'm up again on this tally. Well, dude, I appreciate this. This is a lot of fun, and uh, uh, good luck with the special. And I can't wait to watch it on November 23rd on YouTube. Yeah, and if you like it, people do leave a comment because I'm a person who is currently a slave to the algorithm. So like it, comment. Sorry, I have to say that. Mike, I'll tell you what, man. I really appreciated you reaching out. I had fun doing this, dude. No problem, man. Uh, this is a, l- a lot of fun. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. You know, you you put in a whole lot of work. And you should really, you should retire, honestly. <laughs> Hit me up if you ever come down to New York, my friend. Yeah, man. That's the entire reason I did this podcast. Good. You you could have done it without this podcast. And I still would have, yeah. God damn it. All this wasted time. Wasted time. Alright, dude. Alright, man, I'll talk to you in a bit.